Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. And if you need a Bible this morning, if you just wave at one of our ushers, maybe you left yours at home or in the car, you can wave at them. Turn over to Mark chapter 1, once you have a Bible, Mark chapter 1. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. It's always a special time to be together. And I don't know, it's probably been a year ago now, the last four, five, six times that we've done the Lord's Supper. The Lord spoke to me and said, and and really prompted with that phrase, remember me. And my whole life, every time I heard remember me, I thought, okay, remember that I died on the cross and I was buried and then I rose again. And that's important to remember and it's certainly symbolic. It's it's typified in what we do here this morning. But the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Troy, there's a whole lot more to me than just my death, burial, and resurrection. There's all kinds of things that I want you to learn of me. I want you to remember about me. I want you to recognize. I want to reveal to you about who I am. And so we began with these Lord's Supper times. Is Each time I'm asking the Lord, Lord, who do you want us to see you to be today? Who do you want to, what aspect of yourself do you want to reveal today that we can see and embrace and understand that that's who you are? Today, the Lord Jesus wants us to see him as teacher teacher about 48 times in the new testament just in the gospels you'll see that jesus is given that term and he never disputes it he never says no don't call me that he's actually called more often rabbi if you have an older translation it will probably say that rabbi some of your translations will say master some of them will say teacher all different ways to say this the same word But he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he was a master. He was one who went around. And rabbis in that day were not uncommon. As a matter of fact, there are estimates that in Jesus' day there would have been hundreds if not thousands of those who were rabbis. They were teachers. They were itinerant teachers moving about, talking about God, talking about uh, his word, sharing with the people, encouraging the people, teaching, having followers which were called disciples. We know this is true because we see a little of it even in the Gospels because John, he was a teacher, if you will, a rabbi. He had disciples, he had followers, and they came to Jesus and said, are you the one? John sent us to ask, are you the one or should we look for another? So rabbis were not all that uncommon, but Jesus was uncommon. He was different than all others. Now, I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. He says, and they went into Capernaum, this is Jesus and his disciples, And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue, he went into their church, and he started teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Some of your translations will say he taught as authority and not as those who were teachers of the law. That's an important distinction that we'll make here in a minute. Let me show you another verse as we keep going. Verse 27, and they were all amazed so that they question among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, there's a lot wrapped up in this that we're going to take just a minute and look at. If you were a rabbi in that day, 
you weren't permitted to go around and dispute or contradict what another rabbi taught. So once a rabbi taught it, if you wanted to teach something that was fresh, or notice how it says a new teaching with authority, it says, and it's very important those words in there, a new teaching with authority. If you wanted to teach something fresh, something new, you had to come up with something that someone else hadn't said. You couldn't necessarily take what they said, nor could you contradict what they said. Now, this had produced something, and you'd seen this for generations there in Jewish culture. It had produced a system of creating rules upon rules to help people live out the things that they read that God had given to them in his word. Do you know that in the Torah alone that God gave 10 commandments, but there are 613 rules to help you try to live out those 10 commandments. God didn't give them. Man added them. Rabbis added that. So God gave 10. Man came up with 613 more to try to help God out, you know, help it along. So when you went to synagogue, when you went to church, or when you were out even about and a rabbi was coming into your area to teach, it wasn't uncommon for them to have a new set of rules, a new set of, this is what, because they needed something different from the last guy who came through and the last guy who spoke. So let's give you a whole new set of rules that you need to keep. I think about that and think that doesn't sound much different than churches often that you might go to today. That we need to give you something fresh, and so let's give you a new set of rules, a new set of dictates, something else that we're trying to keep. I always had a problem with that in my younger days. First of all, I'm not a rule keeper by nature. Some of you, how many of you are rule keepers by nature? All right, God bless you. Um, I am not. I never saw a rule I didn't want to break. Um, I just am not a rule keeper by nature. Okay. Now, the Holy Spirit's doing a work in me. And he really is. I even almost drove the speed limit this week. And uh, so the Holy Spirit is doing a work in me. But don't judge me, all right? Some of you are the same way. You know it. Don't judge me. Um, I'm a work in progress. But here's the deal. I never, part of the challenge was I, I did want to break rules, but there was also the work of God in me and the Spirit of God in me that I wanted I, I wanted at least to make an attempt to try to do the right thing, you know, to be thought of as doing the right thing. But someone would come along with a new set of rules. I'm thinking, I'm not doing so great at keeping the last set I already had. And now I've got a whole new set. And you can imagine whether it was that day or this day, someone comes along and they give you a whole fresh new set of rules and regulations to try to help you do what God says you need to do. Now, I'm not talking about things God says. I'm talking about things that we tend to add to. I mean, you know the list. Whatever your church background, if you have a church background, you know the list. And whatever it was in your church that you can do or you can't do, whether you can wear makeup or not wear makeup, or whether you wear your hair longer or whether you wear it shorter, whether you can wear pants or you don't wear pants, or whether you can go to movies or don't wear it. You can play card games. You can play certain card games. You can't play other card games. And you can... You can go to certain movies, but they have to be a certain classification. You can't go to other. You can't go to any movies because it's supporting the whole industry. I mean, the list goes on and on. Now, a lot of times we set these rules and we're very well-meaning in doing it, but it's not necessarily biblical. It's just man-made, trying to help us be godly. I'm not saying that there's not a place for rules at times. I'm not saying that God doesn't give us direction and instruction. 
But when Jesus came as teacher, I want you to notice, they said he comes with a new teaching with authority, and it's different than what we typically hear. I'll tell you why it was different, because of the way Jesus taught. And we're going to look at the way he did that here in just a minute. As he came, it says he came first with a position of authority. He came with authority. This is very important. He came from the Father. The Father sent him. He had the power of the Holy Spirit work in him. We see that because right at the very beginning of his ministry, we see the Holy Spirit coming down on him like a dove. So he is sent by the Father, the authority of the Father. He is working in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching that way. And he has a position, a place of authority. Others didn't, even though they were giving rules. And they may have been looked at as authorities on the law of God. Jesus came and he taught with authority. He taught with a power that flowed from being placed there by God and being empowered by God. And being the living word. I want you to understand something. Did that stop when Jesus left? That word that comes from God, empowered by his spirit, communicated to us by the living word, did that all stop because Jesus went back to heaven because he left earth? No, it did not. When Jesus says, I want you to think of me as rabbi and teacher, he said, what I did then, I want to do now. I want to teach you. I want to teach you with authority. What is authority? It's a word, again, if you're, if you're a rule breaker, it's not a word you like very much. Um, but let me give you a good illustration. I was driving back from our Thanksgiving getaway, driving down 95, and I was driving, I had set my cruise about 73, all right? Because again, it was close to the speed limit. I just, I had to go a little bit more, but I didn't want to be, you know, so I had set it about 73, all right? I don't know if I just confessed to a crime or not, but anyway, um, so I'm driving along and I'm in the middle lane at one point in time and two cars pass me on either side, just flying, whoo, and I'm thinking, oh, I want to be driving with them, and, um, and so, but they go past me and in about 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds, all of a sudden I start seeing them coming back toward me. I haven't changed. I've set the cruise because I'm trying to be a good boy, you know, and stay at my speed. And so I've got my cruise set. So I know I haven't changed my speed, but they're coming back and they're coming back and I'm looking and pretty soon they're actually behind me. They zip by me. Now they're behind me. I think, what in the world? And then I look up ahead and I see there's a highway patrolman sitting up there. Now this is what we do when we're breaking the law and we see a police officer. Now we tell, you notice how many times people go below the speed limit? I just kept going. I didn't ever took, take, I didn't do anything. I just kept going and we were all fine. That is a picture of authority. Okay? If you want to know what authority looks like, that is authority. Authority has been given to the highway patrol and they have a certain power that goes along with it. And as a result, it has an impact and effect on those who both would be lawbreakers and those who would keep the law. But they have authority. You can see it really well. I mean, in fact, I saw it over the holidays. You see a man or a woman in uniform, an officer, standing at an intersection with a bunch of crazy shoppers, all right? Everybody trying to get, and people going everywhere, and a little whistle in their mouth and their hand. Now, I'm driving a 2,000, 3,000 pound car that will go however fast it will go. And so I've got a 200 pound man standing in front of me with his hand and a whistle, but I stop. Why? Because he has authority. Do you see the picture of authority? 
When Jesus came and taught, they said, he teaches as one with authority. He teaches as one where you realize, you stop and listen. This is different. This is, but they also made it really clear, he didn't come giving them a whole bunch of rules. If you read through the Gospels and read what Jesus taught, you don't see him giving a lot of rules. He sometimes would clarify rules that had already been given, but you don't see him doing that. You see him doing something very simple because he, he taught from a position of authority and he taught practically, very practically. He didn't use a lot of spiritual jargon. He didn't use big theological words. He didn't try to impress you with how much he knew. It was very practical. I'll give you an example. Here's one that's really practical. You got a problem with a friend, a relationship, somebody in your life. You know there's animosity there. Don't come to church and try to pretend that everything's okay. Go to that person. Try to, as much as it lies in your power, try to make it right. Then come to church, and maybe, hopefully, with a restored relationship with your friend or your family member, and worship me together. Isn't that practical? I'll give you another one. You want to experience all that God ever intended for money and riches and, and stuff in this life? Then learn to be a giver. If you're a taker, you'll never know the heart of God. But if you learn to be a giver, you'll experience all that he wants you to know about money and stuff in this life. Is that practical? The Lord was constantly, constantly giving them practical, practical teaching. Things that they could understand, that they could relate to. Things that would help in their everyday life. Husband and wives, how are you supposed to get along? Well, Jesus said, he repeated what was said in Genesis 2. He said, a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He gave a very practical teaching. He says, okay, there has to be a change of proximity, a realignment of priority, a commitment to purity, and a passion that does not cease. He said, he said all that, he said all of that in that little, in that little phrase. Isn't that practical? As a matter of fact, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thought it was so practical, he repeats it, and then he, adds, he simplifies it in a really cool way over in Ephesians because he repeats what Jesus says, and then he says, guys, love your wife more than you love yourself. More than you love anybody. And, and wives, honor him like he was Jesus. Have a respect for him like he was Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking, Guys, she's not always lovable. I know. And guys, you're, I mean, ladies, you're thinking, and he's not always honorable. I know. I didn't say it was easy. I just said it was plain and simple and practical. Okay? I didn't say it was simple. But it's very practical. As a matter of fact, I even watch it with my children because I have two girls and a boy. And I can tell you, when they get into squabbles and fights, I can see it in them. And they're not married. They're just, they're just boys and girls growing up. But my son gets angry when they don't honor him. You can see it. And then he retaliates. And they get hurt and really verbal when they don't feel loved and cherished and secure. And they're not even married. Now you imagine what it's like when you get married. As a matter of fact, I sometimes joke that they, they're like bad married couples at times. And, and they are. These truths are very practical. They're very simple. Jesus didn't come with a lot of big theological terms and teaching. It was very simple. 
Very practical, very easy to understand. It was also very plain. He spoke plainly. Jesus told stories and painted pictures because that's how we think, that's how we learn, that's how we receive. He told stories and he painted pictures. Let me give you a picture. I want you to go out here in the woods behind us. This is Jesus' picture, by the way. I want you to go out here in the woods behind us and I want you to find a good-sized tree. Actually, you don't even have to go. You can start over here with the little Charlie Brown Christmas tree that we have over here on the side. You know the one I'm talking about? When you go out today, the poor little oak that's right there in the median that after all these years, I mean, it's, it's like this big and all the other ones are great, but it's like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, okay? And now it's leaning because of the hurricane. It's, it is pitiful. We really should decorate it for Christmas, all right? And uh, so you take that little tree because it's not a whole lot of work probably to get it up out of the ground. You know, it's probably six or seven feet tall and it's about yay big around in the trunk and then you trim all the branches pull up out of the ground trim all the branches off all the roots so all that you're left with is this straight trunk just the straight piece no branches no limbs nothing on it just this straight piece you see it you got that now i want you to take that and jab it in your eye all right just just ram that thing right in your eye okay and then i want you to go around and find somebody else in church who's got a little speck of sawdust in their eye and i want you to help them get it out okay while you're doing that isn't that a practical, plain picture? I mean, can you, Jesus says that when you judge one another, you're like the guy walking around with the six-foot log in his eye trying to help the person with a speck of sawdust in theirs. And what you're doing is you're clobbering. First of all, you're a spectacle to behold, so everybody kind of stays out at a distance, all right? And secondly, you're clobbering them. You're beating them over the head trying to help them. Jesus says, no. Now, when you judge, you do that. But here, let me deal first with what's going on in your own life. You say, well, wait a second, Troy. Are you saying that we should never be concerned about sin in somebody else's life? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you should be concerned first about the sin in your own. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Let me deal with this. See, it's very difficult for you and I to try to help someone with their sin when we're cloaked in our own. Very difficult. We don't see clearly. We don't, we don't think clearly. We don't respond correctly. And that's often how we approach one another, draped in our own sin, trying to deal with theirs. So Jesus said, let me deal with this in you first. Let's get the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be amazed. Your perspective will probably change about the sawdust in theirs. You'll be able to see more clearly what it is and how to help. Isn't that plain? Isn't that practical? See, this is what Jesus did. This is the reason they were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at how he shared, how he brought truth to life. He told stories. There was a, there was a father, lived in Vieira. Had a company, very successful company. He'd made millions at it. Had a nice place up there in Vieira, and he had two sons. The older one was trying to follow in the father's footsteps and keep his, he was a rule keeper. The second born, not so much. He was always pushing against the boundaries and the rules. And so finally he gets to be 21, and he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I'm tired of this. I can't do this anymore. He said, he said, I know I've got a trust fund that you've set up with me over at Merrill Lynch. He said, I'm 21. I want my trust fund 
I, you know, I want to be out of here. I want to go do life my own way. And his father says, okay. So gives him, gives him his trust fund, which surprises me. I don't know about you, but really surprises me that the dad would do that. But this, this, you know, that's what he does. He gives him his trust fund. The kid flies off to Vegas, engages in all those things that are supposed to stay in Vegas but never do. All right? Gets involved, rents a place, gets involved in drinking and alcohol and prostitution, everything you can imagine. He's living it up until he runs out of money. And then he doesn't have any friends because they were only there for the money. So he gets the only job he can find, which is taking out the trash at one of the casino, one of the restaurants in the casino there in Las Vegas. So he's taking the trash out and he's so hungry because he's making nothing. He's got nowhere to stay and he's starving and he's literally just taking scraps of things that people threw off their plate, things that they had on their plate and they didn't eat. He's taking that and that's what he's eating. And one day he happens to go by a, a truck, a delivery truck that was they're making delivery and it was a shiny silver kind of a silver finish on it and he looks up and he sees him and it's about one of these times where he's taking the trash out and he sees his reflection he sees himself on the side of that truck he sees himself eating out of the garbage can and he says what have I done what have I become he said the people who work for my dad the, 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 the housekeeper in my dad's home and the guys who do the lawn care and all, they have it better than I do. What have I done? And so he decides, he, he kind of, it's like seeing himself there, it, it shakes something in him, it stirs him. And so he begins, his, he begins to prepare a speech because he knows he's messed up big time. And he's got to try to make it right somehow. So he starts his speech. Dad, I'm so sorry. I failed you. I failed the family name. I failed the business. I've wasted all of your money. I've wasted everything. I've, I've, I've sinned. I've done all this work. So he works out his speech in his mind. And he starts making his way. He starts hitchhiking back, back to Vieira because he doesn't have any money. So he hitchhikes. It takes him a while, but he hitchhikes his way. And he gets back. And it's a, it's a, it's a gated community over there in Vieira. But... He sneaks around the gate. He knows how to do that because he's a rule breaker. And um, he gets in and he starts coming down the street. And his dad, his place is at the end of a long street. It's down at the end there and faces the street so you can see all the way down the street. And as soon as the sun gets on the street, he looks and he sees a figure and the figure's running toward him. And then he looks at it and he realizes, that's my dad. And he's running. And so he kind of braces himself. Okay. I'm not sure I was quite ready to tell him this yet, but I've, I've been practicing my speech. And so he's ready, and he gets to him, and he starts, Dad, I've been, I've been an awful son. And, I've been, and, he start, and his dad just puts his mouth, his hand up there, and he just says, shh, son, stop, stop. And he just grabs him and just holds him, picks him up, starts back to the house with him, brings him in. He says, hey, while you were gone, I redid your room. It needed, it, needed, it, it needed to define who you are now and not who you used to be. So I redid it. And, um, and, he, and he, he goes in and he gets his assistant and he says, hey, make some phone calls. Call all of the friends and family and everybody. Call the caterer. Get all the stuff in here. We're going to have a party. 
We're going to celebrate. You see, the father had been planning for the return home longer than the son had been practicing his speech. Jesus told that story. And they said, who is this guy? He teaches like nobody else. It wasn't just what he said, but it was the truth of what he said. And then he told his disciples right before the end, he said, when you take this bread, it looks like this, because it has no leaven in it, so it's flat. But when you take this bread, and if you look at it, it's got holes in it. I don't know if Jesus' bread had holes in it, but this one does. It has stripes in it. Scripture says that by his stripes we are healed. It has holes in it because he was pierced in his hands, his feet, his side for us. It has burn marks on it because the wrath of God was poured out on him so that it would never be poured out on me. Jesus said, every time you take this, you break it, just like I was broken, and you eat it together. It's a picture. I'm speaking to you plainly in something that you can see. I want to communicate a spiritual eternal truth through a physical natural object so that every time you take this you'll remember that I've been preparing for you to come home longer than you preparing your speech to say I'm sorry I took the initiative so you could come home I took the initiative so you could be restored I took the initiative so that you could be in fellowship with the father I did that he said when you take that cup It's the new covenant in my blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So I'm going to pour mine out. It is not. Some of you may come from a church tradition where they teach the doctrine of transubstantiation. Transubstantiation is a big fancy word that simply means this literally when you eat it becomes the body of Christ. And that literally becomes the blood of Christ. Jesus didn't teach that. He just simply said, this is a picture so you can understand a spiritual truth. This is a physical representation of a spiritual truth. Doesn't make it any less significant. Just like a cross is a physical representation of a spiritual truth. There's no power in the wood and the bolts. The power is in what it represents. The authority is in the one represented by that cross. This is how Jesus taught. Now here's what I want to tell you today. This is how he wants to relate to you and me every day he says i'm your teacher i will be your teacher if you're willing i will give you stories i will show you pictures and everything i do i will do it from a position of authority you will know people often say troy you say you heard god's voice. how do you know how do you how do you know your wife's voice how do you know your child? How is it that you can be in a mall and hear and where there's a hundred children, but you can hear your child call out mom or dad? There's a bunch of moms and dads in there, but you know when you hear it. 
You know it's their voice. Why? You just know it's his voice when you hear it. If you're his, you know his voice. It's hard for me. I can't mentally, I can't in a, in a clear, simple way tell you how. I just know. I know it's his voice. It comes with authority. It comes practically and it comes plainly. And it's usually the exact opposite of what I would think. Those are usually my, that's my, my dead giveaway right there. I would have never thought of that, Jesus. I would have never thought to go there. I would have never thought that I should, I should care about the ones who hate me and I should pray for those who do evil to me. That would have never occurred to me, Jesus. No, I got a different plan. It would have never occurred to me that when someone is mistreating me and they come and they ask me for one thing that I'm required to give, that you would tell me, go beyond what I'm required. Go further than I'm required to go. That's what he said when he says, if they compel you to go a mile, which a Roman soldier could do under law, any Jewish citizen had to pick up their pack, their burden, and carry it for one mile in any direction. And they knew exactly how far a mile was. They had it marked out. And when they got that mile, you guarantee they set it down. It was no thank you, ma'am. They were gone. Jesus said, if they compel you to go one, go two. Go two. And you wonder why they say, truly, no man ever taught like this. One of my favorite passages in John 7. I don't know if we have that scripture. But in John 7, down in verse 45, I think. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious, the, the church folk, the church leaders, had sent the police to go get Jesus and arrest him because they were upset with what he was teaching, what he was saying. So they went and he teach, and it talks about Jesus teaching and all that. And then they come back, they don't have Jesus. When they come back, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him, bring Jesus? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They went to arrest him and got saved. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? That's usually a sign that God's at work when those who should believe don't, uh, and others do. You see that all the way through the, the scripture. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus who had gone to them before and who was one of them said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus was one of the few who was actually among the leaders who believed. Most did not. I love that story because Jesus is teaching and his teaching is so powerful that the guys who showed up to arrest him listened, believed him, and went back empty-handed. And the same Jesus who taught them his spirit resides in you, and he wants to teach you. You say, no, I need a teacher. I need somebody to, you do. And he's called Jesus. You do need a teacher. Nobody else can teach you like Jesus. I told someone the other day, as I get older, there are fewer and fewer things that I know for sure. Isn't that funny how that happens? But the ones I do know for sure, I am convinced of, and you will never shake me. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what the teacher does. I want you to bow your heads with me.
would you open your heart today to Jesus as your teacher? The Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, the scripture says that Jesus said when he was leaving, I'm going to send the comforter, and he will guide you into all truth. So I'm going to send the Spirit of God, my spirit. He's going to live and reside in you. He's going to lead you into all truth. But remember, if Jesus taught this way, my guess is, matter of fact, it's not a guess. I know he's still teaching this way. He's not giving you a list of rules. There are some things that he asked you to do, he asked me to do, and sometimes they feel and seem hard. I get that. But his teaching method, his purpose isn't to give you and me a list of rules. It's to paint pictures and tell stories that get to our heart. To cause us to see who he is and to long to be in relationship with him. That's who he is. That's what he does. I began a number of years ago doing something, and I do it almost every day now. Some days I might forget, but almost every day I get up and I say, Jesus, be my teacher today. Be my teacher. Give me pictures, tell me stories, show me your heart, help me see what absolutely would not make sense to me otherwise. Help me see you. Jesus said, when you come take this, remember me. He taught us much, but there is much more that he wants to teach us. Are you open to it? Will you receive him as teacher? That means you're going to have to be listening. means you need to open up he was the living word but he left us the written one you're going to need to read that some not as a rule not as a duty but as a letter written from the heart of God to you and me because he's our teacher Lord help us help us teach us us to be like the disciples willing to to lay aside conventional wisdom to walk with you to listen to what you say to have it penetrate to the deepest parts of our being to have it transform who we are Lord when we take this in a moment there are so many pictures in this but one of them is is that we literally we receive we consume you not in a physical way, in a spiritual way. But we receive you, we take you in so that we are nourished, so that you are our life. Lord, that's what we want, that's what we ask for today in this place. You to be our teacher and to be our life. Lord, give us a hunger for your word not a duty, not a checklist, a hunger. Stir in us a heart that desires to hear you, 
hear what you want to say. Every day. And Lord, help us be clearer at hearing your voice and much quicker to reject the voice of the enemy. Because we have an anti-teacher. We have one who would come and he'd tell us stuff. It just isn't true. So Lord, help us be discerning to hear your voice very, very quickly and to recognize his just as quickly and reject it. As we take this today, Lord, we do it honoring you. Because even in this, you were teaching. Help us see the things we have yet to see. We have done this. Lord, I've done this hundreds of times. Many here have. But Lord, today, let us see things we've never seen. Speak to us. Reveal yourself to us in ways we've never known. And we give you honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.